Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, mi gente. If you haven't heard, I am here to share with you. The Wine and Chisme podcast has launched the very first Latina-owned wine brand directory ever. Just go to the wineandchismepodcast.com, then go to Wine Brand Directory. There you will be greeted by me. But more importantly, you will be able to choose a winery first by region, then by county. And the wineries in that area will not only be listed, but you can connect directly to them from this site. It couldn't be easier than that, right? Use this directory to plan your own wine adventure or learn about some of these Latine vintners or share it with a friend and have them buy some Latine wine as well. You guys, this is the first time that something like this has ever been available. So go use it and support our community. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast. A podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things all while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. Hola, hola, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Cheese podcast. I have Sante Prince with me. Hola, How are hola, you hola. today, Sante? I'm doing very well. I always like playing with the backgrounds on zoom so i'm in space <laughs> feeling great right now he is defying gravity in space via zoom <laughs> only on the cheese may wine and cheese may podcast <laughs> <laughs> well let me read your bio then i will read what wine i'm drinking and we have a little thing that we have something that we want to say in regards to wine okay uh, but uh asante sepa is it boyake Buachi. Buachi. Dang it. Yeah. I try. I try. Don't worry. AK San- well. <laughs> Sante Prince is a local hip hop artist, musician, educator, mentor, coach, and philanthropist from San Diego, California. He has spent the majority of his creative career performing at venues such as the Music Box, House of Blues, the Observatory, opening for acts such as KRS One, Slum, Bil- Slum Village, Black Star, and many others. His passion and performance have always found has have found him featured on NBC, both in New York and L.A. Weekly and several New York outlets across the world. His experience has brought him to become the co-founder of his local performing company, Hip Hop at the Spot, in 2019. Additionally, he has also lived, competed and performed internationally throughout Europe, Spain and Brazil with water polo. He now credits his greatest accomplishment as creating the first ever water polo league and program in his homeland of West Africa, Ghana. It is his hope and dream to encourage and inspire as many Africans, African-Americans, and all people of color to engage in a lifestyle of aquatic health and fitness, as well as in water safety. Through sport and music, Sante Prince aims to unite and bring the world closer together. As aquatics and water polo in Ghana continue to thrive, Asante now travels back and forth between his San Diego and African homes, to raise funds and awareness for his newly created nonprofit, Black Star Polo. So, wow, we were yeah. Look at uh, it's always different when something when somebody reads it back to you, right? Versus it's crazy. I when forget you all this stuff. It. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it was beautiful. Well so we said. were actually supposed to do this before, and then you actually ended up having to go back to Africa. Yeah, you had to I go back to Ghana, like some same day conflict, like, hey, my flight is actually <laughs> during our interview, something <laughs> like that. I had to leave. But it's OK. So before we get into the cheese, man, before you share your story, we always right. get into the wine. Now, I am drinking wine. I am drinking 
the RGNY White Merlot. It's on the North Fork Island of Long Island or North Fork of Long Island. And I'm down to my last glass of this White Merlot, which is really, really good. However, Sante is in a car, so he cannot spaceship. He's in a spaceship. Oh, excuse me. Thank you. He's in a spaceship. (laughs) And regardless if it's on Earth or intergalactic, we don't I don't want to break anybody breaking the rules. (laughs) Yeah, we're responsible over here. Responsible. Yes. We don't want any open container laws, whether it's in a car or a spaceship or or whatever. I don't know what the intergalactic rules are, but we're going to keep it safe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll just play it safe inside. No so I'll drink container. for you. It's okay. So, salud. Salud. And I love this white Merlot. I'm almost done with it. Have you ever this had a white Merlot? I'm sure I have. I'm starting to think my palate is shifting more towards wine. I like Cabernets a lot. This is one of my favorite ones. Okay. So, you said you wanted to recommend a wine. Yeah. The one that I like. Man, what's the recent one that I had? It's called Hess, Hess Select Cabernet. Okay. Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah. It's very nice. Very smooth. Um, let's see. I'm sure it's available at all your favorite local wineries around here in the city. That, yeah, there's a lot. There's like in San Diego, there's like I think I was told there's like a hundred wineries or something wow. crazy like that. Really? In San Diego? Yeah. In San Diego County, not just San Diego proper, in San Diego County. Wow. There's apparently a lot wow. more. I thought there was like 20 something and somebody told me, no, there's like close to a hundred. Wow. That's very yeah. interesting. So it's breweries and wineries. breweries and wineries yes but people just don't like san diego is not known as being like a wine place it's definitely known for their breweries so i think the wine i have gone to a couple of wineries but i still there's definitely a lot of uh, a lot more than i need to explore but i think because they're so known for their breweries the wineries just kind of get and and Temecula has taken up so much in regards to yeah. this wine, you know, the wine space over here. It's between Temecula and Valle de Guadalupe that people forget right. that there's wineries here in San Diego. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Big ones, too. I mean, I think the thing with San Diego is there's just so much to do here. And there are so many different, you know, ways to enjoy yourself. You just kind of get lost in yeah. what you can do. Some people yeah. just don't know because, you know... <laughs> It's fun to be outside in San Diego between it our is. beaches, between the park. I'm always mad at myself every time I go to Balboa Park for not going more often. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, speaking of, I mean, you grew up here. Through. Yeah, I mean, correct. you grew up here, You're, but you're like truly a citizen of the world. But growing up here, yes. what was your experience like? How? Because I feel like depending on what area of San Diego you grow up and the things that you were doing and everything, what was, tell me about your experience of growing up in San Diego. What part did you grow up in? So I grew up in Coronado. I stood out, my family and my brothers and I, we all stood out very much, not just because we're a handsome trio, but because you don't see a whole lot of Africans, African-Americans on the island. So, you know, it was one thing to always be standing out. It definitely had plenty of its highs and lows, but you know, at the end of the day, what I've kind of kept with me is that, hey, living in Coronado in San Diego, nonetheless, is uh, a huge blessing. But it definitely came with its challenges, you know, trying to find your identity and trying to, you know, create something you can fit into, despite always being the odd one out most of the time. But it's definitely something that has, you know, really shaped who I am and kind of made me very strong and grounded. So... It's always some stuff like with all the hardships and whatever that, you know, we may have gone through now, it's just kind of very laughable. Mm -hmm. And it's just something that's like a true part of my story being, um, I don't know, being a standout. It's really cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you definitely don't find just in general, any, a lot of diversity in Coronado. No, you don't. You do not. I'll be the first in line to tell that story. (laughs) So did you ever feel, did you feel like you were living two different experiences going? Absolutely. How is that? Like, how do you navigate that when you are so, I mean, okay, for people who don't know, Coronado is part of still part of San Diego County. It's its own little island. There's only kind of two freeways to get there, two bridges to get there from the Imperial Beach area and from like basically almost downtown San Diego to get onto the island. And it's a very affluent area. It's a very, if we're being honest, it's a very white area, right? 
Um, yes. <laughs> I'm like, let's just call a spade a spade, right? Except that's it. kind of ironic because the spade is black. <laughs> that is so funny. That's a bar. Save that for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you navigate when you feel so different in an area that is not known? I mean, and it's also really not known to be that accepting. If you look at different things like recently what's happened last right before the pandemic, what happened between Coronado and Orange Glen with them thrown with somebody bringing tortillas to be thrown uh-huh. and stuff like that. I'm from Escondido. So I was like, and I went to Orange Glen. I'm like, yo, Uh-oh. I'm not all about like, yeah. So it kind of like, mm. yeah. So how do you navigate and, you know, that? Again, going through all of that, you know, the only safe space to really navigate that was in the home, in the household, just kind of like sharing the experiences with the house and with the family. And it kind of strengthens that bond between siblings and parents. So, I mean, it's difficult. It is really living two lives because, you know, case in point, I know the, 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 the radio would always play like these pop songs, pop rock. I was, always, I think it was always no disrespect, but Green Day and Red Hot Chili Peppers were always on the radio. But I remember listening to like old school songs like Barry White and Marvin Gaye. And like not really, not really uh, having anyone to be like, yo, did you hear this new Marvin Gaye song that I just found out about? It's just different, you know? Yeah. Just just really knowing it really forces you to know yourself to really get more in tune with yourself because you start to become your own best friend, you know, start Mm -hmm. to become best friends with what you really like, because there aren't a whole lot of shared interests. There are, but very few. And then with the whole, um, it's so funny with the orange Glen situation, I remember it happening and there was a huge, just uproar. And I remember just kind of being really chill and calm about it because I was like, yeah, this is, this is, this sounds like something Coronado that would happen in Coronado. I'm not too surprised. Nobody should be surprised. I mean, there's a lot of ignorance that goes on over here. A lot of people are not smart, especially some of the kids, you know? So I don't know why everyone, Oh my God, I can't believe our distinguished residents at Coronado would do this. And I said, ah, well, did, you, a, did you get a lot of racism when you were growing up in Coronado? Man, I would just say a lot of ignorance. Because what I noticed personally is, you know, people really throw the word around racism, 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 but they don't really understand it. And it's, you know, such a huge trigger word for, again, living two lives. Like I, I know people on both sides. I know people who will say, oh, no racism and no racism exists. For me, I think the, 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 the fine line that I kind of talk about is just ignorance. I've dealt with a lot of ignorance and, you know, potentially racism, but may have been too young or just too much of an adolescent to realize what was really going on. It's something that makes you realize it. You're able to realize when you walk into a space and you may or may not feel as welcome as some of your peers. Or you walk into a space and you might not be getting, you know, the same type of uh, leniencies as other people. I remember definitely one of the most difficult things was getting, you know, profiled frequently. <laughs> I remember when I got my driver's license uh, for the first time, it was right after my birthday in December. And then January, I got pulled over eight times in one month. What? Eight times. In Coronado right? or just around in San Coronado. In Coronado. Granted, some of it was like, you know, hey, where's your seatbelt? Or hey, California rolling stop. But the rest of it was just like, I'm hey, sorry, California rolling stop. When do cops really ever pull anybody over for a California rolling stop? Yeah. When you look like me and you're 18 in Coronado. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, major profile. To put it to put it very nicely. Yeah. Damn. Um, that's cra- that's there's even there's even one profound story. I, I never was really public about sharing this when it happened, but I went to go eat. There's a little restaurant. It's like a mix of KFC, Taco Bell and Pizza Hut. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went there by myself to eat and I sit down and I look outside and I see one cop car I drive around the block. Then I see two cop cars around the block. Then I see four, then I see six, then there's eight and they all get out and they're all standing outside of their cop cars. And they're looking at this huge like portfolio of papers. They're flipping and they're pointing at the papers and pointing inside. And then I'm just eating whatever I was eating. Like, Hey, you know, you're not, you're, you're not doing anything. You're literally just sitting down, relax. You're cool. You know what? How about, how funny would it be if they all walked in and started asking me questions? Ha ha ha. Sure enough, they did. About eight police officers walked in. They walked directly to me, 
said, hey, what's your name? Uh, do you have identification on you? And I said, my name's Asante. Yeah, my life. At that age, you know, I've heard the stories. I've seen what's on TV. I'm like, okay, let me just follow up. Yes, okay, here's my license. And then they look at it. And I say, so what's the issue? And they said, oh, you fit the description of somebody that got into an altercation tonight. And uh, it took all the strength and poise and maturity in me not to say, oh, you mean the other black guy that lives here? Because I don't know what would have happened. I don't know how they would have taken that. But I told them it wasn't me. And they said, okay, fair enough. And they walked outside, but they didn't leave. They, they all stayed there. And there's this one cop who was like, no, dude, let's definitely him. Let's go. Let's book him. Let's get him. And sure enough, my car was, they were parked around my car. So when I went back to my car, I just looked at them, waved and, you know, drove away. But I, I was 18 when that happened. And it's just, it's just, it's crazy. I was like, what do I do? I don't know what to do. And, 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 you know, you obviously don't want to give into that, that uh, reality of like, you know, people profiling and, 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 and the stench of racism and whatever. But when you go through those experiences, man, it makes it difficult to really give a benefit of the doubt. But again, it's like, it's an important experience to have had so young to understand that, you know, this is a reality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to kind of go back to something that you said. You said that, and I completely agree with this. And sure. I, in regards to the difference between ignorance and racism, I always say people are afraid of what they don't know. So if they've never Correct. been around a Mexican or another Latino, or they've never been around a black person, or they've never been... They are just getting fed what they are being told and exactly it becomes right. this fear, right? This fear of just what they're being told. Exactly and I right. think the difference between racism and ignorance is sometimes when people meet somebody of a different color or a different ethnicity or a different religion and they right. get to know somebody and they're like, oh, maybe this isn't right. They're giving themselves an opportunity to learn. Versus yes. racism, where they're like, I don't give a crap. Fuck yes. you. You're an ass. You. You're this you just because it. of whatever. Yeah. Even Close with the opportunities. Thing. Yes. Yes. Someone is just, and, I, and, I, and a good friend of mine brought up this term too, because, you know, again, just on the subject of racism, there's racists and they're racists, racists and bigots. You yeah. know, they're very synonymous. And I feel like there are people that are kind of hiding behind that veil of ignorance to really hide their racism. The mm -hmm. fact that they're not going to give anybody that doesn't look like them a chance. And that's just low intelligence, if you ask me. I mean, I'm very, I'm 100% confident in saying that racism is 100% a, a mental illness. You know, like yeah. what is, what will, you know, to be so grounded in hate is very foolish. It's not, it's not, it's not. I honestly, every time I think of stuff like that, I I feel like my eyes go crazy and that because I'm trying to, it's like, I'm almost trying to search my mind of understanding that kind of yeah. hate. And it's so hard for me to grasp that because I think unless somebody gives you it there, they always say there's a thin line between love and hate. Right. Correct. And my thing is if I really dislike you, then you don't even enter my mind. Like you have no sphere in my world. Like if I really don't, if I don't give a crap about somebody, I, why am I going to give them any space in my head and allow them to affect me? Right. So people are so afraid of where they stand. They don't realize this, this world is huge. There's enough space for all of us. There's enough space for all of us to win, but there's so many people who are just so consumed by keeping people that don't look like them or think like them down. Right. It's just something where when somebody accepts something as their truth, it's like a very cozy blanket. They're going to hold on to and will fight if anyone takes it off of them. But yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's dumb. It's really, and it's all about energy conservation. It just takes so much more energy to hate so much more energy to put out negative energy than otherwise. You just always find yourself miserable because it's really foolish. It's really, really yeah. foolish to just kind of intentionally be this producer of negative energy and hate. There's already yeah. way too much of that in the world, you know? So oh, absolutely. It's, but, but it's important to be aware of it that again, life is not all everybody you meet in this world is not going to be happy and, 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 and excited to meet you. That's just uh, something that we navigate and find a balance. In. Right. We have to be okay. I mean, I struggled with that for a long time. I wanted everybody to like me. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Or if I liked them, I wanted them to like me. 
And then I realized like, I don't like everybody and not everybody's going to like me. And when you're happy with yourself, you don't care anymore. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. When you like yourself, you know, anybody else that likes you is gets to join the party. And if they don't, they're missing out. Honestly, That's right. Wine break. Time to refill that glass and come back for more wine and cheese men. Hola, chicas. The summer we've been waiting for is right around the corner, and our friends at Ulta Beauty wanted to share the following hair care must-haves. Starting off with Andrew Fitzsimons Prism Shine Glossy Shampoo, formulated with hydrating coconut oil, derived ingredients, and aloe vera, delivering a glossy glow to dull hair. The moisturizing treatment glides through and makes hair super shiny, leaving it silky smooth from root to tip. Your next summer must-have is Sun Bum's Heat Protector which lets you say no to heat-damaged hair, decreasing blow-dry time, and helps protect against thermal damage and breakage. This two-phase protective formula is lightweight, nourishing, and works quickly to help eliminate frizz and resist humidity, keeping hair healthy and hydrated. This last-minute must-have is new, and our friends at Ulta Beauty are excited to share that Oliflex No. 9 Bomb Protector Nourishing Hair Serum is now available at Ulta Beauty. Protect your hair from daily damage with this weightless leave-in silicone-free hair serum to shield hair from pollution and provide heat protection up to 450 degrees. So what are you waiting for? Head over to Ulta Beauty today and shop in-store or online for all your summer hair care essentials. So now you're telling us a story about when you're living in Coronado. How did you get involved, of all things, how did you get involved with water polo? Because you're already living these two different worlds and then you choose a sport that you don't normally see. I mean, that you really only see like white people doing. Fact, so you're like, you I'm already it. in two worlds. Let me dive and do yeah. another. Let me go world. deeper. Yeah. Let me go deeper into the unknown. Yeah. Goodness. So yeah, it's funny in Coronado, as it being, you know, already a super white place, there are some Olympians that come out of the town a lot, actually. And one of the mothers of an Olympian reached out to my family and surprise, my brothers and I, we all grew up with asthma. We found out that swimming is actually very good for asthma. So it really started off as like nurturing this cure to having asthma. And I did not like any type of uh, physical activity. I was a little gordito as a kid growing up. <laughs> my diet wasn't very healthy. It was all about snacks and and KFC, junk food. Taco Bell, Pizza yeah, Hut. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. I was a, I was more of a Burger King kid, to be honest. That was just a way to kind of keep us in shape. And it was really hard for me, really difficult for me. But the family was strict and said, hey, I think you're going to have to stick with this. Sorry. I just got so angry with being, uh, you know, bad at the sport. I was always coming in last. I couldn't swim as fast as everybody else. And that just constant embarrassment made me work super hard to be, you know, not so bad. And I eventually ended up becoming very good. And uh, then it became fun. And then I have a lot of teammates that were looking up to me and it's like, okay, all right. Now I'm starting to make something happen here with this new, with this new thing going on. So, but, polo, that takes a lot of stamina because you're not ever touching, right? Like you're fully constantly swimming the entire match, correct? Yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy at all. And yeah, I mean, like I watch when I watch water polo, I'm always in awe because it's a lot of stamina. It's a like you are truly constantly moving. Not I don't even think I don't know if there's any other sport where you are full. I mean, like you're always using hockey is pretty fast and everything. But there's times where you're not where you're not playing or you're not, you know, your skates are stopped or whatever. But water polo, I know it sounds like it sounds, but it's like really it's just seems just it's not easy. intense. It's not an easy sport at all. Um, and you're right. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of stamina. Um, it's always in the deep, deep side. So we're not standing in any shallow. It has to How be at least. How deep is deep? Uh, it has to be at least, uh, at least nine feet, you know, anywhere from seven to nine feet. Um, some people get really tall. So I think nine feet is like standard. No, it's definitely seven feet. That's Olympic size. But um, it's tough because you're right. We know with like basketball and football and you can kind of stand and stop to kind of catch your breath. And with water polo, you've always got to be treading. You know, you've always got to be just actively staying above water. 
which takes more energy because we're all born vertical. You know, you mm -hmm. walk up and down. Water polo, you have to now train your body to be in two different worlds. You've got to be horizontal to swim and then vertical to have the ball and take care of everything. It's not for the faint of heart. And it's definitely a great way that I've kept in shape. But um, if you are willing to try it out, baby steps. Because <laughs> first you have to learn how to swim. Yeah, I was about to say, where were you like starting? Because you said you weren't very good, but where were, where was your where were your swimming skills when you first entered poor. the water at that poor? poor, poor, not good. Like how poor? I think because you know I like to have fun more. I like to just splash around and be in the water. So I didn't really put any emphasis on like you know using this hobby of mine to be work, mm -hmm. and then just kind of being you know a chubby kid. It was just difficult chubby kid with asthma. And then eventually I started just getting more creative and jumping from swimming in the pool to now swimming in the ocean. Cause I said, Hey, wait a second. If I can swim in the ocean where the waves are crashing me and everything and the current is really tough. Then when I get to the pool, I'll be way better. And sure enough, that worked. So I went from, it was funny. My coach would put me next to the lifeguard. He would joke just in case you're going to be right here to then eventually moving my way up to the ranks of being able to keep up with uh, the older kids. Right. So, right. so a lot of moving parts. Oh my gosh. So I know you said you got better. Did you play water polo in college or did you like, what was your ascension from high school beyond? So it was high school. Then I played uh, four years in college. I jumped around. I played at uh, Whittier College for two years and then I graduated at Cal Lutheran. Then after I graduated, I went on some training trips in Europe to play. And uh, I did a week in France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. Then I came back home and I played two seasons in Brazil, Rio de Janeiro. And that was high-level water polo. It was fun because I always wanted to be like on the top team. Mm -hmm. And I was already okay with like, if I'm not the best one, if I'm not the best one on the best team, that's fine. Cause I'm going to be able to work myself up to a standard. And that's exactly what it was. I mean, it was 2016 and it was just after the Olympics and Brazil had a team for the Olympics. Half of the team from Brazil Olympics were on the club team that I was playing with. Wow. And the head coach was the assistant coach for the Olympic team. So I'm playing with like ballers, you know, very, very good athletes. It was definitely an experience, like just keeping up. I'm just very persistent, very resilient. And I was sometimes practice would just push me to exhaustion, but I knew I was in the right place because that was what I wanted to do. When yeah. I started to get the rhythm in high school, I said, I want to take this to the next level. I want to really, you know, just prove that I can do this, that I can be a part of this. And man, to have the experience to be teammates with Olympians, it gives a lot of perspective. So let me ask you a question in regards to like, the makeup of the teams is particularly collegiate teams and stuff, because I have a friend who is one of my friends, he played lacrosse okay. and he was, all, he was like the only black lacrosse player and his parents wanted him to play lacrosse because, and be like, because they were envisioning once he got up to college age, if he was good being a black lacrosse player was going to be a benefit to him in regards to recruiting, in regards to all of those things. Right. Did you ever see it that way or feel that way? Or do you feel like, did you ever have those types of conversations with your mom in regards to being a water polo who happened to be black could be a benefit? It was definitely something, um, I never really thought about it as a benefit. I mean, I saw it as something where on every pool deck I walk into, everybody's going to be able to point me out. and it just kind of became something where I knew I was going to be, what's the word, you know, making a statement. It was going to be a statement like, okay, I'm the only black one here. So let's show up and show out. Like, let's let everybody know that, Hey, we're in this one too. Even if I'm the only one on the deck that looks like me, it kind of just became like a motivating factor. As far as it being like a positive for others to look at me. I think the only way that I saw it was that like somebody would look, look, end up looking up to me being like, okay, like, you know, he's really fearless. And the fact that he's, taking on this new sport, you know, where nobody is, 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 you don't see black people. And that became an obstacle in itself because I would always get, I've heard every single black joke in the book from all of my teammates. And one of them would always be like, Hey, 
uh, why don't you, you know, the football fields over there. Why don't you just play basketball? Why don't you just play football? Why don't you just do track? And, you know, you, you just learn how to just shake it off because it's a difficult position to be in because you either a fight back and you yell at everybody. Then you become the angry kid on the team or you just then have in to you or your off. case, you'd become the angry black man. Boom. You said it. And it's like, ah, damn it. You're damn if you do, damn if you don't. And you either the angry black man or ha ha funny one guys, or you just ignore everything and let it roll off. You know, you become stronger doing the latter, but man, it's not easy when you just, guys, I just want to practice, please. No jokes today. No jokes today. No, and then you hear jokes. And I remember talking with my dad, because I think even he set the president, my dad's a doctor here in San Diego. And I told him, I was like, dad, like, yo, straight up being the only black kid on this team is rough. And I, I don't know, I don't know how I'm going to do it. And he would just say, look, you just have to look at it the same way I do. I walk into these meetings and I'm the only one, I'm the only black and I just laugh now. And for that to be a reason for me to quit, you know, absolutely not. Hell no. There's no way I'm going to quit because I feel alone in this category. You know, if anything, you're the leader, you know, people are going to bot are going to positively benefit from seeing you. And he gave me that talk. And that was, I was a, I was a big one because as people were looking up to me, I'm getting advice from the person that I look up to saying, yeah, it's tough, but there's no way that obstacle, that opposition is going to make you quit. You know, there's two, you, you, you're standing for too much. Yeah. I mean, it's just a hard, it's like climbing uphill, you know, mm-hmm. I would love to have a straight flat path to walk on, but it's been constantly climbing uphill and that just makes you stronger than walking on a straight path. This is true. But yeah, I mean, sometimes you're tired of climbing, right? So you, tired. You guys, you're like, okay, so dude, like you said, you're like, okay, can I just practice? Like, can we not have any jokes today? I mean, as you were telling me, I could feel my like blood getting hot because like I said, it just, it just irritates me so bad when I hear everybody has the story. Everybody has the story of, you know, some ignorant kid in class making the joke and you're now like, okay, do I swallow my angry feelings so I don't get looked at or do I fight back? You know, it's, it's, it's a tough position to be in. And, and, you know, I tutor some kids too. Some, there's some African kids that live in Coronado and then some other black kids. And they're like, Oh my God, it's funny. Cause they are telling me stories that have happened to them. And I'm telling them like, Hey, welcome to the club, you know? So it's cool to be able to be this site or this like mentor for them to be like, Oh my God, how did you do it? Or, Hey, has this ever happened to you? And I'm like, Oh, don't worry, buddy. Did it's you tell them the too. story about what happened? Oh, you man. said the story of yeah. what happened at the KFC. So when you went home after that, yeah. yeah, what was that conversation with your parents and your brothers like? Or did you like, did you hold it in or did you instantly go, dude, this is what happened to me? I told my parents, that was the only people that I told. I didn't tell any of my classmates, didn't tell anybody, didn't tell anybody. But I went home and I just said, hey, like. You know, I don't even think I knew it was being profiled, but it was like, hey, I just got pulled over again, you know, because it was in a month I was getting pulled over like weekly, you know, just for what, what are you guys doing? And, you know, I get it. Everyone's doing their job, but you're going to, you, you cannot help, but think this has happened to you as the only black guy, one of the only black guys in the city. And I think it was just a tough conversation because I remember it just being like, dad, mom, I got pulled over again. I sat down just eating, not doing anything. And all these cops came up and asked me these questions. And like, what do I do? Do we report them? Or like, it's cool. Cause I was just such an adolescent. Like I was so young. Like I was just so like, I know what this looks like, but what do we do? This is happening to me now. And, you know, it'd be nice if those situations stopped at 18, but I've gotten pulled over for walking in my own neighborhood swimming in my own town i get pulled over and they're like what are you doing i said what do you mean what am i doing i'm a coach like i'm out here training like what is this oh why are you walking in this neighborhood sir where do you live i live right over there sir right there and i'm gonna go teach in the community after you're done with the questions and you know it's it's, it's just interesting and i think it's just ignorance because each time those instances have happened it's always been at the result of some concerned resident like somebody just not understanding and I'm, and then i cannot roll my eyes oh gosh that you harder know. enough right now oh you're telling me like I've, I've truly been through it and we don't have any burdens i say it's a very heavy blessing to bear 
you know, being able to have such a, so many of these things and just roll it off and kind of laugh at it all. But yo, it's not fun, man. Like it sucks. It's really annoying. And it's like, I don't want to climb anymore. I don't want to be the spokesperson for like this reality is, 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 is true. Like people don't believe, Oh no, please don't pull you over. Cause you look like this. No, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. That only happens over there. And it's like, oh, no. you know how many times I've been pulled over and asked if I had any guns, drugs, or aliens in my vehicle? Jesus, man, it's terrible. You know, uh, what was it? I got pulled over one time. This was the worst. I was coming off from a concert, Kendrick Lamar concert. And I remember it was such a cathartic experience. I was at a height. I don't want to say the height because I'm still going up with my music career. <laughs> but I was like, just peak, you know, Sante Prince. I went to see Kendrick sold out at the Chula Vista um, Amphitheater. And I'm like, yo, yo, this is my future. Like I can, I can, I see, I'm going to, I'm going to do this and just driving home on this high. And I got pulled over like right before I got to my house and the cops were like, have you ever been to jail? Are you on probation? Have you ever sold anything or stolen anything? Is this your car? And I'm like, yo, what? I've never had any of these questions asked to me before. Why? What that? What? And I remember I filed this huge complaint and I went to the court and the worst part is getting, oh, you have to understand, sir. That's protocol and we do that to everybody i'm like no you don't shut up man get out of here it's and speaking about that true experience and then having people be offended be like oh you were probably doing this or oh no that's not that oh we need to respect it's like okay i get where you're coming from but this is my experience this is how i felt from it and it's not just my own that's the thing it's it's so many people like i can't ever share that experience right i'm a light-skinned latina like i know that i have been pulled over. And I know people have said things because my last name is you can't mistake my ethnic, you know what I mean? Like in regards to that, but I could never, I'm not ever going to experience what a black woman experiences, what a black man experiences. And so when I have all of these friends telling me these different stories, I would not ever discredit their story because it's their story. Thank you. And so when people say like, oh, that doesn't happen. How do you just because it doesn't happen to you does not mean it doesn't happen. Correct. To me, that's always so frustrating when I hear people say like that doesn't happen. I'm like, no, that doesn't happen to you. Correct. That doesn't mean that it does not happen. That's the biggest you know, way to be an ally and all this stuff is don't discredit people's situations, but just have that understanding, you know, that empathy, not even you know, understanding, because if you try to understand, you're going to, you know, make yourself your head hurt. You're not going to get it. You're going to come off offensive. Just be like, hey, you know, I'm here with you. I empathize. I don't know what it's like. Like, again, I tell people like, you know, yo, you don't have to imagine yourself what the experience of a black man, like, just know that this thing is happening. Just know that you're on my side and, you know, I can count on you. Mm -hmm. I'm not asking you to understand what it's like for me, for me as a black man. You know, I related to like, I'm never going to know what it's like to be pregnant because I'm a man, you know, I'm not going to go up and be like, oh, my God, I know. I know exactly what you're going through. What? No, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and anyone that no, I mean, I'll never none of us will ever understand what that is. But yeah. you have that empathy and that understanding of like, hey, you know, I get you. I'm here. I'm with you. I support you. So speaking so. of like support and everything, you you're also a coach and a teacher. Yes. What is like the most important things you feel that you need to share with your students when you're teaching them and when they're coaching? Definitely that first and foremost, you know, you have all the capabilities to succeed. You're, I mean, I let them know, hey, the world is yours straight up. And even on your worst day, I'm always going to tell you, hey, good job. Because the sport, life, school, it's all going to test. It's all going to challenge you and it's all going to potentially break you. So I make sure I let them know that like, hey, you know, understand things. It's, it's, it's much bigger than what you think here. You know, it's not just don't get stuck in the tunnel vision that you have to perform this well. I'm always going to tell you good job, but I'm always going to, you know, always also call you out and keep you disciplined and keep you on a straight path. because That's going to make you better. Yeah. Um, I like to just let them know that they're going to be challenged, especially when they're with their teammates. But when you go through that struggle together, you're going to enjoy the success when the struggle is over at the end of it. And it's so interesting because like, I remember, you know, being coached very strict, having coaches like shouting and yelling and like just being disciplined. And like, that's, that makes sense to me. Like, okay, that's what I'm used to. Now keep Same, in mind. I played too, like, softball and yeah, I'm used to that. 
And I was a cheerleader too. And we would get yelled at too. So yeah, all the time, <laughs> all the time. So I get it, you know, and sometimes when I'll yell at the kids, or I'll be really strict. You know, I think I'll be like, oh man, that was too much. Or, oh man, I'm being too hard on a kid who's like screwing around way too much. This is here in San Diego. But then the next day, like even in the classroom, the kid will be like, hey, what's up, coach? Hey, what's up, Mr. Santa? And it's, I think kids really respond to positive enforcement, positive structure, like being told no, kind of giving them that tough love. Like mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, kids like, like that. I, I think and it's because some of them may have never heard no before or they don't have that strict upbringing. So well, you, cause you still know. coach in Coronado, right? Yeah, I'll coach and I'll help okay. out. I'm going to, yeah, I coach them a lot sometimes. So it's funny. Cause like, I'll, you know, they all follow me and they all know I'm a coaching rap star and this and that, <laughs> but well, they speaking also know, of, yeah, how they do also you know when it's serious. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Cause you coach, right. You coach, yeah. you teach, and then you also have a music career on top yeah. of that. An illustrious one at that. (laughs) (laughs) So what is the message through your music? Is it the same? Like, do you feel like your message in life is just kind of consistent across all of the things that you do? Or do you change it up for your music? No, it's a consistent, it's a positive message. But I always just wanted to kind of emulate all the artists that I've listened to, like all the ones that I've toured with. And I always resonated to music that had the positive message whether it be hip hop or reggae or R&B, just kind of that, I don't know, conscious, don't give up, stay true, those messages. So I always wanted to make music along that same uh, same genre, that same background. So I keep that positive message in my tracks. A lot of it is storytelling too. I know when I first started rapping and writing songs, it was just kind of storytelling because that was, you know, Slick Rick. That was one of the best ones oh, I ever listened to. Oh, yeah. You know? And then it kind of got up of like my experiences. And it was something where I want to listen to something that would make me, that would encourage me. I want to hear words that I would want someone to say to me. I think I've really found my voice and I've found the thesis. There's the teacher and me talking. The thesis (laughs) and what I want my tracks to be like. But, you know, I keep it hip hop, even though it may be a positive message. Like it's not going to be corny. Like I'm a spit, like I'm a spit, you know, and. The kids love it. They, 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 I, and it's cool because I think <laughs> right when I started like really releasing music was right when I started teaching at the same time. So there are kids, high school kids that I've been following like the growth of my music when it was just kind of like loud rapper, blah, 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 to now like growth in artistry. Yeah. So it's kind of cool that I, def- I definitely have this background of people that are like, they're growing with, the, with an artist they respect, which is that's cool. A, that's know? awesome. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So let's take another pivot because you have like, literally you have all these different things you do. Yeah. We might you, do invest in a second episode, which I'm totally down for <laughs> yeah, with, yeah. With, with proper glass of wine too. Yeah. Um, you also, your roots are from Ghana. And yeah. like I said, at the beginning, we, we had it scheduled. And like you said, your plane was going, you were actually heading back to Ghana that same day. Right. First one, like, have you, were you always aware of, of your, your roots of where they came from? And then what got you interested in actually not just drawn to your homeland, but compelled to start an aquatics and water polo program there? Right. It was just having this true feeling of home. Like again, growing up in Coronado, mostly surrounded by white people my whole life. And I remember when I went for the first time, uh, as soon as I landed in the country and just seeing everybody that looked like me, it was like, whoa, this is serious. Like this is, this is what everybody else has been experiencing their whole lives. And I'm getting this experience way later. Like I'm, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a child experiencing this. I never had the experience where you have four other kids in your class with the same name as you. So you get to have that cute, oh my God, your name's Tommy too, mine too, your name's Ryan, your name's Chad, you know, like I didn't, <laughs> I never had that. So that first moment getting into Ghana was like, all right, like this is, this is what home feels like. This is the reality. This is, you know, that belonging that, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to like forcing yourself to fit in and like kind of carving your way to fit into a community to like a perfect puzzle piece, just kind of sliding in, you know, it was just such an event that I was like, all right, I got to figure out something. And I was super passionate about water polo. And I was like, okay, okay. You know, I got this crazy idea. It's absolutely crazy. 
but it's so crazy. It just might work. And uh, here we are now. What are we, 12 years later? No, 13 years later. I first had the idea in 2011. Wow. Wow. Yeah. My math is off, isn't it? 11, 11 years. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't tell my students, please. <laughs> I'll be here counting on my fingers and toes. So when yeah. you decided you were going to do that, what was the what was the reception of that by the people there? How, like, who did you go to in regards to support? Because obviously you just get there. You don't, you don't know all of the people you have to kind of make your inroads. You have to build your relationships. You have to convince people this is a good idea. Did it, right, right, right. How long did that take? And was that something that was difficult to do? So all of that took off in 2018 up until then, from 2011 to 18, I was still in school. I was playing and just kind of growing in the sport to make sure like I was legit, to make sure that I was just getting experience. Plus, I was in school, too. So I had like a checklist of things to do before I could, you know, do what I wanted to do. Mm. And I made a donation in 2018 and just got in contact with like the swimming federation out there, which people don't even realize is a swim federation. I didn't even know. Yeah, no, and I, brought I have a- no clue. You know, that's what this whole journey is. Every day, something new. Yeah. And um, just kind of sharing the idea. At first, it was just kind of like a joke to other people that I kept in my back pocket. I would say, yeah, you know, I want to go to Ghana and make a water polo team. Oh, dude, that'd be so sick. Oh, dude, dude, dude. And I feel like people, okay, so I, I don't mean to interrupt, but the first thing that popped in my mind is I feel like people would compare it to like the Jamaican bobsled team. Right. Like, yeah, sure, sure. That's going to happen. Yeah, do it. Do it, man. Do it. What's the name of that movie? I've got something before cool you. Cool Runnings. Yeah. Well, I've heard that so many times. I'm now changing the movie. My movie is called Pool Runnings. <laughs> Thank you very much. Tip your bartenders. <laughs> pool Runnings is uh, is uh, the backstory for this because they're all by the pool. And I mean, it's an I mean, I've already accepted my life now as a movie because it's you know, we're doing the impossible, really. You know, you don't see black people swimming. You don't see many black Africans swimming. And this has been something that's entailed everything you could imagine, the opposition, the confusion, the how do you think you can do this? Like what? And then just also learning the laws of the land. And even though I'm a Ghanaian and I've been going back and forth, you know, just having that feeling of still like feeling like a guest in your home country. I really related to an experience. Like I know I had some classmates Hispanic classmates that didn't speak Spanish in Spanish speaking households. And it's like, man, that must, I think I understand what that feeling is because you don't fully connect with your culture, mm-hmm. you know, and you're working to fully connect. There are times when I go to Ghana and, you know, I, I, I find myself, Oh my goodness, I had no idea about this. And I'm telling everybody I'm a Ghanaian, but I'm learning how to find my culture. Every time I go there, it's, it's a trip. Every time that I go, it's a trip. Every time that I'm here and, you know, living two lives as a uh, uh, living two lives in itself in Coronado, and now living two lives as a and very US extreme. Culture. They're very extreme as well. Yeah, yeah, it's a true, true night and day. I mean, going with kids who live in Coronado to play a sport, water polo there, or in mm-hmm. in, in Coronado, and then the kids that we work with in Ghana, they come from the street. Like there are street boys that even the homelessness here in San Diego is five stars compared to their living situation. You know, it's great because I'm very stubborn and relentless. And I think that has resonated with the kids we work with because now they've got this new opportunity. It's like, yo, over there in Africa, and I'm sure other parts of the world, you've got generations of people who are like, my father was a fisherman because his father was. So I'm going to be a fisherman. And so was my kid and his kid's going to be a fisherman and so on and so forth. So now we're adding, we're adding this new line of opportunity to that already generational cycle that, hey, you can do that too, but now you can play the sport and it can take you into school and you can travel. And the best part is look at me, like, look, man, I, I, I did it too. It's not easy. It's very difficult, but you have your validation that it's possible that you can do this. Yeah. And I think the success of water polo in Ghana is really just a testament to what happens when people believe in you. Like it shows just how high you can fly when you've got enough people to believe and support you. So how has it grown since you've started and how many people do you have involved in this whole thing? I mean, obviously there's people there that are, you're, you oversee see things, but obviously you have people there that you've trust 
to be able to continue things while you're gone, I would assume, correct? Yeah, yeah. I've got a whole staff over there that um, they handle everything. And when I'm away, I write the practice plans. I'll show them videos almost daily. I'm even planning a beach water polo tournament next week for them while I'm here and just making all these kinds of connections and time zone differences. As soon as I fall asleep, my phone starts buzzing saying, hey, coach, what do we do? Hey, coach, da, da, da. You know, and I think the root of it has all been from social media, just being consistent and posting day one, day two, we're practicing. Here's our new ladies team. Here we are building the first water polo cage in the country. Now we have 85 athletes in total, seven different teams, seven different regions. And everything we do is just history. Like this did not exist in the country of Ghana up until last year, you know, to have this league, to have this season running for four months and, you know, for it to make international news, it's, it's, it's truly history. And I'll be excited when I get to finally like sit back and admire everything, you know, but I'm in the thick of it right now, just in regards to like building it up, but it's great. I mean, the kids love it. They're all excited. The school has now adopted it as a school sport, which is a positive move forward because now we're introducing the term of student athlete to these kids and um, just building it up to where I can do the same thing even here in like Southeast San Diego at the Jackie Robinson Y and give that same opportunity. So eventually kids in Ghana can come here to the U.S. and play. I mean, kids from here can go to Ghana and play. Like it's. Oh my gosh, that is yeah. so rad! Seriously, yeah. like, that's so so rad. I think I'm a big dreamer, big dreamer. I mean, if you want to do big things, you got to dream big dreams, right? Yeah, and when they say make your dreams uh, so big they scare you, every day I'm terrified. I'm frightened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're huge, you know. But again, just being consistent, relentless, and stubborn, and really understanding that it takes. 10,000 hours, blood, sweat, and tears, and that belief in self to make it happen. Because when I went, you know, it was against all odds. I went in the peak of COVID. Uh, the world was crumbling. And I said, okay, let me go to Africa and do water polo. And everyone says, you're going to go what? Do You're going to go where and do what? Are you sure? No, don't do this. Da-da-da-da. And, you know, you have to be the first person to believe in yourself to make something happen, you know? You and just kind yeah. of went straight into my next question was, you know, has anybody told you not to do what you're doing or that it wasn't going to work? That's a fun one to answer because (laughs) I've been blessed to be surrounded by so many people that care about me and want the best for me, but they can help. But also like, Hey, please be careful. I've heard many loving variations of, Hey, don't do this (laughs) on this journey. And I, and it's just, it takes understanding because I hear people just say, ah, oh, you sure you want to go because you know, the way things are and what if this happens and what if that happens and just having maturity, understanding that saying that, okay, I understand that I'm, I'm on the, I'm on the receiving end of some serious care and admiration right now. Nobody is telling you, don't follow your dreams. Don't go and do it. You're going to fail. People just really are cared are careful. And I think it's just. I don't know. People have a fear of an unknown and they want to propel their, what might happen onto you as a safety thing. It's like, you know, you know, when you have a kid and this whole thing is like a crash course in the fatherhood. Like I'll tell the small kids on the team, I can even imagine if they want to get a bicycle. Okay. Wear your helmet and your knee pads and your elbow pads and uh, uh, training wheels. You don't need training with like take this and this and this and this and this and this and this to the point where when you're smothering them with this, like, be careful it then starts to turn into suffocating, mm-hmm. you know, but it's only because you want the best for right. uh, that person. So, I mean, some days it's, it's, it's nice. And it's thanks like, okay, thank you for your concern. Other days it's a thank you. And then you walk away somewhere and just scream and shout. Like it feels like nobody believes in me. But again, when you're the only one that believes in yourself, things will move because very quickly that fear and that like uh, concern other people had for me turned into encouragement. Like, hey, honestly, bro, I didn't think you're going to do it, but you're doing it. And people saying, honestly, man, I don't know how you're going to do it. And I was really secretly, I was betting against you. I'm not going to lie. I was betting against you. Oh, that's no problem. You know, I've had a lot of people fire. Sorry, side note, <laughs> we're here going, 
Gonna go see Carlos Santana tonight, so it's pretty cool about oh, that. Oh, I love yeah. Santana. Oh my I gosh, he's a man. But um, yeah, you know, I it was funny because I even had some of my cousins like secretly being like, "Hey, you're coming to Ghana? Are you sure, man? It's tough. Like, what do you want to come to Ghana for?" And then when I got there and they saw how committed and how focused and how legit I was, they were like, "Oh, dude, honestly, we're trying to get you not to come because the family was worried." And people are worried. They don't want you to come. But man, you're on it. Like, honestly, bro, do what you want to do. And all that concern has become encouragement now. It's been a beautiful thing. And man, I it would be very fun if I was the I told you so kind of person. But I'm not, at least when nobody's listening. Because <laughs> <laughs> everybody's like, yo, this is great. Whatever you need, whatever you want to do. We have all the belief. We have all the faith in you. Go for it. Yeah. That's, so that, what that, is- that's, that's nice. So what's next for you, whether it's what you're doing in San Diego and what you're doing in Ghana, what are the next things that you foresee for yourself? So right now it's just kind of building up this infrastructure and itinerary of when I go back and forth from the continents. I know the main goal that I do when I come to the U.S. is to share updates, share stories for the purpose of fundraising, gathering people to help donate so we can pay for transportation, for snacks and pool space and everything. People really positively respond to like this humanitarian grassroots stuff. My like immediate plan, my grand vision, and it's coming to fruition, is everything we did in Ghana can be done A, anywhere in Africa, and B, uh, here anywhere in the world. So Ghana has been the blueprint for what I can now do in different countries on the continent, like Ethiopia, and uh, Kenya have been two countries that I've been able to like navigate a plan with. Even Nigeria, water polo, it's a big sport played in California and in Europe and in Eastern European countries. So now the long-term vision is just to make the continent Africa like a water polo hotspot. Definitely working to invite the water polo community, all the Olympians that I've played with, all the Olympians that are currently playing, inviting them to come to Ghana for water polo and for tourism, because, you know, it's a win-win. People get to share their passion with people who want to eat it up and they get to, you know, enjoy a vacation spot while basking in that spirit of giving back. Yeah. So I, I, I really just see that pipeline happening, me being here talking about it and my goals for Ghana, you know, eventually I'm going to start just kind of being very, very vocal about what I believe because People ask me silly questions like, do you think there's a possibility for them to be in the Olympics? Absolutely. Why wouldn't there be? Stop asking me silly questions. Why wouldn't there be that? Like, What are you trying to say, sir or madam? Goodness. It's like, absolutely. I have all. And I tell them, I tell the kids, I said, look, you got to understand you are leaders in the country. Nobody else here is doing this in this country. And there's even fewer people doing this in the world, you know? So understand people are looking up to you and you have the ability to, you know, make it to the top. Yeah. And again, I just kind of metaphorically just shower them with all this encouragement so they have no doubt that, hey, we can really be next level. We can really take it to where it needs to be. And they love it. They believe it. You know, my uh, concrete vision, dream plan is for them to make it to the 2028 Olympics. And that will be in L.A. Oh, my gosh. So, OK, then then and we yeah. will have to do something else then because yeah. how freaking yeah. awesome would that be? But it's always that thing. If you can see it, you can be it. Right. And right. you have become like this person that you're, you've done it, you're doing it. And these kids can see somebody who looks like them. Yes. Doing what they want to do. One question that I did want to ask, I forgot to ask earlier is when you started traveling the world for those, were you seeing more diversity in the water and in the sport versus when you were just strictly in California? I'm so happy you asked that question. I did. The first time I played abroad was in Barcelona and that was just training. And that was kind of like the first taste of seeing darker people play the sport. Then when I went to Spain or when I was around Europe, it was again like, okay, you know, I used to only have one black person on the team. Now there's two. Whoa. Like, now there's three it in a tournament doubled. of 15. Like, whoa, whoa. And then I went to Brazil and I had two teammates that were black, Afro-Brazilian. And getting 
that Brazilian culture was just Afro-Brazilian culture was just so again, welcoming. It reminded me of that feeling of when I went to Ghana for the first time. And I said, whoa, Brazil, I think is my home. Like, I think I, I think I feel my roots here, Afro-Brazilian. And then the craziest thing happened. So I, I was in Brazil from, what was it? August to let's say November in 2016 and 2017. When I went to Ghana to do the donation, um, you know, not like a seasoned Ghana. Tra- no, this is the second time that I've gone to Ghana since the first time. I went there after being in Brazil and I was seeing similarities like people cutting coconuts on the street and just more black people. And I was like, oh my goodness, wow. What was it? Africa is really like Brazil. And then I caught myself and I said, holy smokes, wait a second. Switch. Switch. <laughs> Brazil is really like Africa. Mm-hmm. And that was like a key finding my culture, finding myself moment, like, holy smokes. Like, you know, I have been looking for the opportunity to fit in in different areas and overlooking home, you know, like just understanding, whoa, like, wait a second, pause. Like, we are not like other places. Other places are like us, you know? and. I don't want to have the handout. I've already had the handout of being the first black water polo player or being the only black water polo player, excuse me, to do things like, oh, congratulations, you're making a statement, blah, blah, blah. Not disrespect to the achievements, but, you know, I don't want the handout anymore. That's why I was so adamant in making a team and making a league because it's a great statement seeing one player on a team. It's an even greater statement to see an entire team, an entire league. Absolutely. That's why I look forward to having this Ghana water polo Olympic team because it'll shock everybody. You see uh, Europe, 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 Black African. What? That's you know? so awesome. I'm like so excited for you. Seriously. Yeah. That's that's what I'm working for. And, and it's so funny because it is so difficult building this thing up from the ground up just with life coming of age, finding your culture the ins and outs of, of managing anything and doing anything and, and, and working with people. It's all so difficult. But one thing that I tell myself is when I'm working with the kids that my worst day is still their best day. And then also I have never had more fun with the sport than I have in Africa playing and having teammates, a whole team, a whole league, a whole pool deck of people that look like me. And I can see the frustrations that I had when I was 14, 15, 10 years old. And it's like, they get mad and I have to hold back my life because I'm like, oh, you don't know how great you're going to be. You know, like, you know, you take your kid to go play softball and they strike out. Oh, I struck out. I was like, no, you're going to get better. You don't know. You're going to get better. I get so excited. Again, this whole thing, it's like, it's like having a kid. I don't have any kids yet, you know, but it's just like this nurturing and understanding what parenthood is wanting the best for kids that could, that look like me, you know, like, yo, good teachers are great teachers because they're teaching to kids that look like them. You know, you're, they're invested in them. They're invested in them. See, this is why I knew when we met, I was like, you need to come on my podcast. Like you got a good, uh, you got a good, good I knew it. I knew it. I felt it. I was like, I like him. I need him to come on the podcast because I knew it. And I love your energy. Thank you. I know you have a GoFundMe social media website. Will you, how do people connect if they want to donate? How do they follow yes. you on social media? All of those. Definitely. Uh, we're accepting donations on GoFundMe. If you just Google Ghana water polo, you'll see all the news and information. The GoFundMe is where we're doing the donations to help out with our, you know, pool space, transportation, getting food, getting snacks, getting everything for them on a weekly basis then i have the nonprofit, which is called black star polo which is what i'm using to encourage more black brown people of color to get into the pool and aquatics that's our bigger you know foundation where we're looking to get more big corporate sponsors to handle the bigger cost and then our social media page uh you just follow us to see the club it's at a w w p c and then my social media is at uh, sante prince it's at S-A-N-T-E Prince. And you'll see I'm pretty active there where I post everything. I'm always asking for donations. Really, anything helps. It goes a long way. Uh, this whole journey is one giant gratitude exercise. What people don't realize is a very big flex is when you go home and everything works. <laughs> Electricity, awesome. Wi-Fi, AC, 
I don't think many people the realize. The things that we take for granted. Yeah. People don't realize people go home and like, it doesn't work. Oh, no water today. Oh, no AC. Oh, and no that's a normal for them. Wow, man. So it's a trip. I'm, 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 I'm definitely in the metaphorical trenches, but I'm in the trenches of my passion, which well, I guess. I will make sure that we link all of those on the show notes. So Thank people you. go directly to um, the GoFundMe, to the website, to social media. We'll make sure to include all of those in, but I know you have to, you have things that you got to do and I want to respect your time, but God bless you. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your story. Like I said, when I met you, I was like, I want him on the podcast. <laughs> Literally within five minutes, I'm like, so you don't have a podcast. Do you want to come yeah. on? <laughs> I was like, okay, yes. And it was the name that sold me. Wine and cheese, man. Sign me up. <laughs> Sign me up. We'll do when you're in. Well, I know you're in San Diego. You're in San Diego right now, right? Or yeah, I'm in San Diego. I'll be here until August. I'll be here for about two months. So. Okay, so while you're here, so, we'll go have to have some. We'll go have some wine while you're here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, at one of these uh hundred wineries in San yeah, Diego. Yeah, we'll go so, for yeah. sure. For sure. We got options. So until next time, mi gente. Much love. Adios. Gracias. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Chisme Podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Chisme on our website, thewineandchismepodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Chisme on Instagram and at The Wine and Chisme Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Chisme, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos.